So we know there's a huge problem. We know that basically the system we got is not going to be the system that's going to work going forward. And so how do we determine what's going on here? Well, if you're interviewing, you're trying to figure out, you, you sit in on meetings, you talk to people. Do you feel like you can basically disagree with your boss? Yes or no? Do you feel that people care about you as a unique human being? Does your boss have lunch with you or have meetings with you and ask about your family to know about your home life, your otherness life, your hobbies? Do you have a personal development plan? Is your person you report to helping you grow and focusing on your strengths and building on them? Or are they just basically picking on weaknesses? I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. COVID-19 has taught us anything about the future of work. It's that disruption is an inevitable part of working life. In as little as four months, we've seen more than 75% of organisations shift to remote working. And for businesses with more than 5,000 employees, that figure climbs to over 80%. Whether it's global pandemics, climate change, technological advancements or geopolitical changes, all of these factors will affect both the nature of our jobs and the skills that we need. Today, employees must manage both a virtual workplace and a work environment at home. And this takes different types of skills, like online collaboration, delegation, and time management. For leaders, the primary concern is to ensure employee engagement, well-being, and inclusion in a virtual work environment. Because engagement is critical to enabling creativity, innovation, problem-solving, productivity, and ultimately profits. So what enables engagement? Well, leadership. The command and control 1950s style of leading may have served us back in the 50s when organizations were comprised of employees who largely thought, looked, and acted in the same way, and where jobs had a lot of repetition. But the world has changed the transactional approach to leading no longer serves us. Organizations are and will continue to become increasingly diverse. Roles will have a lot more ambiguity and autonomy. Parts of your job that are repetitive will likely be replaced by machines. To succeed, you will have to work with others to achieve results. And leaders will be required to lead in a more inclusive, collaborative, democratic and caring way. Really, what we're asking of leaders is to be more human and less leader-like. On this episode, Ed Hess, author of the new book, Hyperlearning, and professor of business administration at the Darden School of Business, and a senior executive with more than 20 years of experience working in corporate America, will share why the old command and control fear and ego-based ways of working and leading simply won't survive, and why workplaces of the future more human. If there's one thing your organization could do to prepare for the inevitable disruption that's likely to come, it's to invest in leaders. 
According to a study by the American Management Association, 48% of organizations believe that developing global capabilities in their leaders is a top priority. However, only 18% of multinational companies say they have the strong global leadership pipeline necessary to meet their future business challenges. If leaders create workplace cultures, and culture determines how likely employees are to innovate, it seems like a good way to future-proof your business might be to start with changing the way leaders lead. Here Ed shares more about the skills that leaders need to thrive in the future world of work. A human workplace is where each human being is treated, if you will, with dignity, is cared about as a unique human being, has the opportunity to grow and develop and be all they can be, and has the ability to, and time, to create caring, trusting relationships with colleagues, if you will, with people they work with, that they're not just cogs in a machine. They're a human being looking for meaning and purpose in life, and they need to be, if you will, in an environment that enables that, but they need to be treated as a human being by their managers, by their leaders, by colleagues. And it really ties down to the workplace has got to be made much more humanistic. It's got to be an emotionally safe place. The big inhibitors of learning, of innovation, and thinking at your highest level of creativity are ego and fear, fear in the workplace. And you don't basically disagree with higher-ups. You know, the, the work, the industrial revolution model of command and control, you know, faster, 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 better, 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 cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. Well, technology is going to do all of the stuff that you can do faster, 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 better, 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 and cheaper and cheaper. The humans are going to be needed to do the hard part, the hard thinking part, the hard enge emotionally engaging with customers and with colleagues part, and the continuous learning. That doesn't work in an individualistic, survival of the fittest, competitive environment, which many workplaces are. It needs to be a workplace built upon emotional positivity, psychological safety, people being respected as unique human beings, helping them understand their strengths and their weaknesses and playing to people's strengths, giving them the opportunity to grow. I wrote an article recently saying that every company is going to be in the human development business in the digital age in addition to its core business. And the human development business will be as or more important than the core business because without human performance at its highest cognitive, emotional, and behavioral level, organizations will go instinct because the technology is going to do everything that's rope, everything that basically can be done by technology. And the human component is going to be your differentiator. That's why you need a humane environment. That's why you need an environment that is basically not cutthroat, not politics, not, you know, people playing games, not zero-sum game, not going into meetings and, and saying, I got to look smarter than that person. No. You got to help that person think better, and that person's got to help you think better. It's a different game. It's going to have to be played. A completely different model of what it means to be in an organization. And now there are organizations that are moving towards this, and that are somewhat displaced. But the general rule is command and control, survival of the fittest, compete, and you're a cog in a machine. Well, the smart machines are going to do 
all the things that smart machines can do and the humans are going to be needed to do the things that the smart machines can't do. And those things take a human positive emotional environment. What are we really asking leaders to do? Create a workplace culture that enables people to think, to manage their egos and emotions, to listen, and to emotionally engage with others in positive ways that result in high-quality collaboration. If leaders want their companies to survive, they have to humanize the way they lead, which Ed says starts with embracing positivity, psychological safety, and self-determination. Here, Ed explains these concepts in more detail and what the style of leadership really looks like in practice. Ask them if you can sit in on some meetings, all right? Can you see how meetings are conducted? You can see whether people are fearful. You can see whether people sort of are close to their chest. You got to have psychological safety. The biggest inhibitor to learning, the biggest inhibitor to outstanding thinking, creativity, innovation, the biggest inhibitor to performance is fear, all right? So it's got to be emotionally safe, all right? That nobody's going to harm me. This person's not trying to make me look bad. This person is not going to hear me say something and then go tell my boss, all right? You got to have caring, trusting relationships. And the leaders have to role model the behaviors and set the stage for this, all right? Because you just can't go into somebody and say, okay, we got an emotionally safe environment. Doesn't work that way. Just think about it. A leader's got to basically sit back and say, how do I have to behave in order for someone to feel safe? Do I behave that way? When you ask questions, You know, do you feel safe here? Do you feel like you're engaged here? And you've seen the research. I mean, the new Gallup research says internationally, 85% of employees are not highly engaged in their work. So we know there's a huge problem. We know that basically the system we got is not going to be the system that's going to work going forward. And so how do we determine what's going on here? Well, if you're interviewing, you're trying to figure out You you sit in on meetings, you talk to people. Do you feel like you can basically disagree with your boss? Yes or no? Do you feel that people care about you as a unique human being? Does your boss have lunch with you or have meetings with you and ask about your family? Do you know about your home life, your otherness life, your hobbies? Do you have a personal development plan? Is your person you report to helping you grow? help in focusing on your strengths and building on them, or are they just basically picking on weaknesses? Studies show that without psychological safety, people won't fully embrace the hard parts of work, which enable innovative thinking, like giving and receiving constructive feedback, challenging the status quo, asking hard questions, and having the courage to try new things and fail. Google has studied what makes certain teams effective, and they found the single most important factor is psychological safety. Do people feel like it's safe to be themselves at work, and do they believe they'll be valued for who they are? Here Ed shares why it's critical for leaders to create psychological and emotional safety in the digital age. It's this whole concept of how do I know whether people feel emotionally safe They feel like they're in a positive environment. They feel like they're a unique human being. Their self-determination's needs are being made. And basically, is an environment that liberates people. And the reason it's got to liberate people 
is that in the digital age, humans are only going to have work if they can do the types of tasks the technology is not going to be able to do well. And that's the highest order of critical thinking, innovative thinking, emergent thinking, going into the unknown and figuring things out. And it's emotionally engaging with others, and those others include colleagues for collaboration, but customers in the creation and delivery of services, all right? Those, and then trade jobs, which require iterative analysis of the problem and then iterative trial and error fixing the problem and, and, um, and manual dexterity. But going back into the workplace, if it's rote and if it's doing the same thing over and over again, and if it can be put into an algorithm, it's going to be automated. 25 to 50% of the jobs in the United States are going to be automated over the next 10 years. So how do we play to this personal side? How do we transform it? And the way you transform it, it's more than culture. It's behavioral. It's behavioral. People have to behave in ways that result in less fear and trust and caring. And people have to learn how to behave those ways and people have to give feedback on people's behaviors and people have to take time in each meeting to emotionally connect. The Getting to Equal 2019 report by the consulting firm Accenture finds that 95% of executives believe that innovation is critical to competitiveness and business success. So if innovation is so important, how do you get more of it? Well, start by creating cultures of equality, which are environments where employees feel like they can be themselves at work and that they'll be valued for this. The Accenture study also found that employees are six times more likely to have an innovation mindset, that is a willingness and ability to innovate, in companies that have a culture of equality. Expanding on this argument, Ed shares why when it comes to the future of work, inclusion is mission critical. Inclusion is going to be not a nice to have, it's going to be mission critical. Because almost all work going forward in the digital age is going to be done in small teams. No one can achieve thinking excellence or collaboration excellence by themselves. It's going to be small teams and caring, trusting teams. And what we know is, is that from the science, neuroscience, I go out in the world, I'm a quote, educated person. I've had lots of experience. I go out in the world and first of all, I perceive far less than 1% of the stimuli that I could perceive. And I'm wired to see what I believe. We are wired, all right, to see confirmation of what we believe affirmation of our ego, and cohesiveness of our stories of how the world works. Well, my wiring, what I see and what I believe is different than what you see and you believe. You and I can basically go out and we can be using words and they could mean something very different to you. So the best teams, the research shows overwhelmingly, are diverse teams. Diverse in all ways. Diverse from a background, from a culture, and from a gender, all right? Intelligence in the digital age is not how a person's going to win. It's collective intelligence. And so inclusiveness is mission critical. And 
most of what humans are going to be doing in the future is going to be very emotionally late. And being able to connect and relate to people emotionally is so very important. And emotions are basically persona non grata in most workplaces because most workplaces are trying to be efficient machines. Well, you don't need humans for efficient machines. What you need humans is for the hard stuff, which is generally inefficient, all right? Because it takes time and exploration and everything. But what's so fascinating about the research, when you get an organization that's built the right foundation and you got people caring and trusting each other, basically because everybody feels so comfortable with each other, it's no competition, we're safe, we're able to calm everything going on in our body so that emergent thinking, basically our subconscious and our conscious is interacting. I'm not sitting here worrying about, what's Michelle think about me? If I say this, is she going to be mad at me? Am I looking stupid? I don't know anything about what she's talking about. How am I going to fake all that stuff, all that corporate crap that goes on is gone. That's where the goal is. That's where we're trying to get to is so that you can walk in and you can say, I am safe with these people. Let's see what happens. Let's see what emerges. Let's see what we can explore. Building a more human workplace is really about asking leaders and employees to change how they behave. And this can be a big ask, especially if we don't have experience leading in an inclusive, collaborative, and empathetic way. Here it shares how you can begin to develop these skills. You have to work on the inner stuff to, so you come to the workplace to meet with others in a developing way. And then there's a new way of working. And the new way of being is based on inner peace. And that is learning how to take ownership of your mind, your behaviors, all right? So you can basically be working towards having a quiet ego, be working towards having quiet body so you're calm when you go into meetings. So you can manage your emotions. You learn how to generate positive emotions when you're in a funk. But also when you have negative emotions, you're able to basically analyze them and basically detach them from a reflexive automatic response and behaviors and either let them go, all right, or change them, et cetera. And so it's that personal development work, uh, which involves for people that would be starting out meditation, gratitude practices, deciding how they want to be and want to improve what I call daily intentions and basically visualizing at the beginning of their day how they want to be and then measuring themselves after meetings, all right, how they're doing and then figuring out which of these am I not doing well? How do I basically improve this and get a teammate that can hold me accountable? So there's a whole process. But what the organization needs to do is to embedded practices such as a check-in practice and a five-minute meditation into every meeting process in their company worldwide, every day. And then if it's a meeting that's going to be longer than 30 minutes, then meditation's longer than five minutes. So it's embedding processes that help people get in that right place so that as I'm sitting here, but also people have to do their work at outside the workplace and it's everyday work then if your company or organization is commanding control and the leadership's not engaged in it can your team create your own little quote culture that our team 
We want to be humanistic. We want to be emotionally safe. We want it to be positive. We want to help each other. We're going to collaborate, et cetera. Can we all basically agree that we're going to behave these ways? Then we're going to list down our rules of engagement, how we're going to behave and hold ourselves to it so we can all be putting ourselves in a position. And can you do that inside a company in a small team? Yes, you can. Can you do it in a division or a group? Yes, so long as your manager buys in and plays the game too. And he or she has got to go through the same game. And it's a journey. It's a journey. But these are real-life conversations that result from all of this. Finally, Ed shares one action that each of us can take to start building a more human workplace today. Every day before you go to work, visualize thanking people more. Visualize being kind to people. And visualize taking the time and asking people, how are you doing? And share with yourself with them. Take the time to slow down, slow down to be human and to try it. And to especially be kind and thankful and caring as much as you can. Say thank you. Thank you. Say thank you to people that you don't even know who they are. If you're working in a high-rise office building and there's an elevator attendant, thank them when you get out. Thanks for the nice ride. Or you go into the commissary or the kitchen and there's someone cleaning up. Thank you for keeping it so clean and safe for us and killing germs and all of this stuff. Thank you for helping me today. Thank you for making me feel part of this. today's episode encourages each of you to think about what skills you might need to develop to thrive in the future world of work and how you can start to future-proof your career by simply being more inclusive, caring, and ultimately human. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. Also, you can sign up to my monthly newsletter or reach out to me for interviews at www.michellepking.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.